Luke chapter 1, and also we will be in the 136th Psalm. Luke chapter 1, and starting at verse 46, there is about nine verses or so. What the, your subheading, possibly in your Bible, may say something like the, the, the song of praise from Mary. Mary's song of praise. We're going to read through these first nine verses before we go back through them, but before I do, you've got to make me a promise. Most every time when you start reading, you get about three verses into listening to someone else read or talk, you fall asleep. Or at least your mind shuts off and you go to thinking something else. For a minute and a half, picture everything you read. Every phrase that's described, picture what it's talking about. Verse 46. And Mary said, My soul doth magnify the Lord. And my spirit hath rejoiced in God my Savior. For he hath regarded the low estate of his handmaiden. For behold, from henceforth all generations shall call me blessed. For he that is mighty hath done to me great things. And holy is his name. And his mercy is on them that fear him from generation to generation. He hath showed strength with his arm. He hath scattered the proud in the imagination of their hearts. He hath put down the mighty from their seats and exalted them of low degree. He hath filled the hungry with good things and the rich he hath sent empty away. He hath holpen his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy. As he spake to our fathers, to Abraham and to his seed forever. Now, if we were to pass out a small piece of scratch paper to each one of you, and I asked you to write down the images that came to your mind, what things would we be writing down? You see, we read the Bible a lot, and we get to things like this where, I'm guessing, not much specific jumped to your mind. You, you didn't picture exactly an event. And we get to those things when we read the Bible and think, well... This is just poetry. God just has some filler material here because he needs his Bible to be so long. But this is talking about very specific events. Look back at verse 51. It says, He hath showed strength with his arm. Throughout your Bible, there is an event in the Old Testament that the Bible uses these words to describe it. That God delivered, he saved Israel with an outstretched arm. What comes to mind? Crossing of the Red Sea. Maybe just visually thinking, that and maybe Noah's flood is almost the most impressive thing you can imagine with your eyes. The whole earth being flooded with Noah, but the Red Sea... A nation of people standing on the beach, nowhere to go. Their enemies are about to close in on them, and the ocean splits apart. And they walk through on dry ground. That, that doesn't happen most days. Most years, that, that doesn't really happen. In fact, the Bible, of course, tells us the world has never seen anything like that. They walked on dry ground. And then when they got across, God suckered their enemies to follow them in there, and he let, the, as the Bible says, the water came clapping back together. 
and in an instant destroyed their enemies, their past. Anything that could come back to haunt them, God killed it so it could never bother them again. Got a question for you. If that's the case, why is Mary in her song to praise about the Lord? She's just been told by Gabriel, you're going to have a baby. You're going to be carrying something that is of the Holy Spirit. She knows she has had no physical relation with Joseph, her espoused. Now something's growing on the inside of her. Why is she talking about God preserving his people with an outstretched arm? Why is he talking? She's talking specifically about the Red Sea. The rest of verse 51, he hath scattered the proud in the imagination of their hearts. Think those Egyptians had a little bit of pride? The Bible tells us that God hardened Pharaoh's heart for a purpose. He wanted him to be so prideful he would never let them go so that God could hold Israel there and pour out these ten plagues so that he could show his mighty power. If he just had one small miracle and then they got scared and let him go, Israel wouldn't have seen the plague of fire, the plague of lice, of darkness, of frogs, of hailstones of fire coming out of heaven, the death of the firstborn. They may not have even followed him out into the wilderness and seen that Red Sea. God on purpose held them in until it got so bad, but everybody got to see something. That's a small reminder in your life. You ever feel like God needs to get you out of something? There's a chance. Maybe a small chance he wants you to see him do something. Witness his power, his timing, so that you know that you know he can find you anywhere you're at. Turn to Psalm 136 here. We just read, He hath showed strength with his arm. It's a lot of places in your Bible where that language is used to describe the Red Sea, but let's just look at this. This is a good one. Psalm 136, and the first verse of this psalm says, Oh, give thanks unto the Lord. And then it just starts listing a thousand things to give thanks to the Lord for. When you get down to verse 10, it says, To him, giving thanks to the Lord, to him that smote Egypt in their firstborn, for his mercy endureth forever, and brought out Israel from among them, for his mercy endureth forever with a strong hand and with a stretched out arm for his mercy endureth forever this is the exact same language that mary seems to be quoting in her song of praise talking about god delivering ancient egypt with a strong stretched out arm this Psalm almost, as we'll see here, let's read a little bit more and you'll see maybe Mary's even quoting this. You almost get a picture into Mary's mind. Look at verse 13. To him which divided the Red Sea into parts, for his mercy endureth forever, and made Israel to pass through the midst of it, for his mercy endureth forever. But overthrew Pharaoh and his host in the Red Sea, for his mercy endureth forever. Why does every single sentence end with the same phrase? For his mercy endureth forever. Why is God's mercy associated with all this destruction? Because I can assure you that's how the newspapers would describe it. 
All the firstborn died last night. There's frogs in every cookie jar, sugar bowl, refrigerator, microwave. They're everywhere. There's lice in the pillowcases, the bedding, the closets. The sho- they're everywhere. Hailstones of fire raining down. Why is God's mercy associated with all this destruction in Israel? Excuse me, in Egypt. Because the mercy that it's describing is God came to visit his people. This is what we'll read here in the next few verses back there in Mary's Song of Praise. God had made a promise to a man by the name of Abraham that someday something special would come out of him. Now, Abraham didn't for sure at the beginning. He didn't know when that would be and what that would look like. At first, he thought, well, maybe it's Ishmael. Then God had to tell him, it's it's not Ishmael. The covenant is going to go through this miracle kid that your 90-year-old wife had. His name's Isaac. God made a promise to Abraham that something from his seed come through Isaac and his kid, Jacob, and his kid, those 12 tribes that someday something special would come into the earth. And how would that happen if they're slaves in Egypt forever or worse yet? What if they all die down there? What if the Red Sea closes in on Israel and they all die? How's that promise going to come about? What if they all die in Esther's time and Mordecai can't pull off the miracle and Haman kills Every Jewish person in the book of Esther. What happens if David doesn't defeat Goliath and Goliath does like he promised? I beat you. You're all slaves, servants to us. What if the Philistines kill all the Israelis? What in the time of Gideon, if Gideon doesn't with his 300 people perform a miracle by the hand of God to overthrow the Midianites? Should we keep going? What happens with the three Hebrew children in the fiery furnace? All those people in Babylon. What if Babylon decides to kill them all? You think, well, that, that, that couldn't happen. People, it's been, it happened, it attempted to happen in some of your lifetimes. Remember the 1940s? The plan to exterminate every one of them? There's a reason for that. It originates here in the Bible. The devil's been trying to kill every single one of them since God made that promise to Abraham. Because what does the devil know? That God made a promise to this man that someday something's coming from him. Doesn't know when, for sure. And when that person gets there, he's going to rule the world. And as he said, as God told Satan in the Garden of Eden, he told Satan that there's something coming from that woman, Eve, that someday it's going to crush your head. You may bruise his heel, but he's, he's going to crush your head. See, what we're into here and what Mary is giving voice to is the plan of God. You find, you find this all through your Bible when Peter gives a sermon in Acts chapter 2. When Paul stands up and preaches Stephen in Acts chapter 7, they always, almost, started at the beginning and gave this lengthy overview of God's plan for the human race. It's kind of remarkable. Even Mary is doing this. She has just been told that she's going to be the one to carry this miracle child that was promised way back to Abraham. And what does she start doing? Seems like she's 
almost rehearsing Psalm 136. Look down at verse 23, uh, 22. Even a heritage unto Israel, his servant. Remember those phrases. That Israel is God's servant. Verse 23, who remembered us in our low estate. Where's that phrase found? That's Luke 148 that we just read that Mary started off. That he has considered someone, she was talking about herself, of low estate. See, I think you can make the case. You study Psalm 136, you can make the case Mary recognizes that her life is an image of that nation of Israel throughout their history. God preserved them for a purpose. To bring forth the Messiah into the earth. God made a promise at the beginning. The Messiah is not going to be Russian. He's not going to be Chinese. He won't be American. He won't be Egyptian. He will not be Peruvian. One race of people. Israel. And that's why your Bible is a story of basically one group of people. The Jews. The Bible tells us it's not because they were so perfect. It's not because they were so strong, mighty, or even obedient. They were just like us in almost all those ways. So why does the Bible stick with their story? Because God wants the attention of the reader to be focused on the one person they're bringing in. There's one. Go back to Luke chapter 1. Luke chapter 1. In verse 53. He hath filled the hungry with good things, and the rich he hath sent empty away. After they went through the Red Sea, where'd they end up? Out there in that wilderness where there were no McDonald's, no Walmarts, there was nothing. And they ended up, God fed them with manna from heaven and water from the rock. That's that filling them that are hungry with good things to eat. Look at verse 54. He hath holpen, that's the old English version is simply our word help. He hath helped his servant Israel. Those are the words we just read in Psalm 136. That Israel is God's servant. Now, we went through the idea of how God has helped Israel. We went through some examples of David, Gideon. um, There's many different kings. Some of the judges that God stepped in to help Israel to preserve them. And why did he preserve them? It's for the next verse, or the next phrase in verse 54. He hath helped his servant, Israel. You ever thought about that? Why would the Bible refer to Israel as God's servant? What do servants do? Servants perform a task. They, they're usually not just on their own doing willy-nilly whatever they want to do. They are told to tend to certain chores, certain duties. What's the duty of the nation of Israel from its inception? Their job was to exist to get that Messiah into the earth. It's kind of remarkable. We should spend a Bible study here some night looking at all the times where Satan came this close to wiping them out. And especially the royal lineage where God had told David, he's going to come from your lineage. 
And there are times in the Bible where they had killed all of David's seed, except one of the maids hid a little baby away and escaped out from the hangman's, from the soldiers. And that little kid kept the lineage going, miracle after miracle. So what's this servant Israel's job? God has helped them, has preserved them, made sure they stayed alive to get the Messiah into the earth. Now remember who's saying this is Mary. She's the one that's now, she's carrying this thing. She's quoting, it seems, Psalm 136, the history of God helping Israel to make sure he gets into the earth. And now you almost start to see what's going on in Mary's mind. She, maybe she's realized she's carrying that boy. Can you think what, go, what would go through your mind if an angel comes? You're a young lady. You, you've never known any man. And now there's something growing on the inside of you. And this angel tells you it's of the Holy Spirit. This is God in your womb. And when he gets here, you even have a specific name. You make sure you call him Jesus because he is Emmanuel. What's that word mean? God. with He's down here with us on the earth now. He's not just out there in the Netherland where we never see. He's here on the earth. He has become one of us. Can you imagine a 16, 18, who, who, however old she was, with that knowledge running through her head? And she now knows all those times that God preserved my people throughout history to get me here. At this point in the sermon, maybe you should have something running through your head. What has God preserved you through? Has He brought you through divorce, disease, maybe bankruptcy? Has God made sure that you're still here for some event? For some reason, has God maybe even revealed to you some specific end game? You've even got a picture in your mind of you crossing the finish line. You know what it is. You'll know it when you see it. Because God does that. He always talked to his people about the end. Remember when he came to Abraham, who started the Jewish lineage? What was the first thing he told him? Abraham, you get out of here. You go to a land that I'll show you, and I'll give it. I'll give that whole land to you and your seed. And all the earth will be blessed because of you. What's that mean? Was Abraham going to leave something in his will to every single person on the earth? Not, not, not physically. What does it mean that in Abraham... All the earth, all families, God even designated there's all different types of families, but all of them, not just the Jews. All families in the earth will be blessed through you, Abraham. What's he talking about? Talking about, in the end, Jesus getting here. Providing salvation for every single lineage of people on the earth. And this is what, look, Mary even mentions this. Look at verse 54. He hath holpen his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy. Remembering what specifically? That's what the next verse says. Remembering that as he spake to our fathers, comma, to Abraham. Mary knows she's at the end of the line of this promise that started 
old Uncle Abe, that God told him something very specific. See, this is why when Abraham went up to sacrifice his own son Isaac, why was Abraham, the Bible tells us, he was willing to do it. He, was, he had the knife. He started down. The muscles were contracting here. It was pulling down. He was going to do it. How could he do that? His only son, Isaac, that he loved? The Bible tells us when you get to Romans. He knew that if he killed Isaac, God would have a problem. God was the one that made a promise that said, there's something coming through your seed through Isaac. So if Isaac dies up there, what does God have to do with Isaac? Bible tells us in Romans chapter 4, Abraham knew in his heart, if I kill him, if I'm obedient, God will raise him up. And the Bible tells us that because of that, Abraham is just like us in a way. You know how we're saved? We believe, we have faith in the resurrection. You can't believe that Jesus was just a nice guy. That's not what saves you. You believe that he was God's son, that he born of a virgin, died for our sins, and that, as the Bible says, on the third day, rose from the grave. What did Abraham believe? Abraham believed that his boy would be resurrected. He believed in the resurrection. That's one of our links with that great old man. God has a special reward for people that believe in the resurrection. Kind of remarkable. And Mary catches all of this. Look at verse 55. As he spake to our fathers, to Abraham, and to his seed forever. See, Mary is still quoting the Old Testament. She's quoting what God told Abraham. That it's not just for you, Abraham. You obey me and you go to the land of Canaan. I'll give it to you and to your seed forever. Their lineage was promised a history. But there's something special in this verse about the word seed. We read that and we think, just like she says, well, God helped Israel. And when we say Israel, we know that's millions of Jewish people. And God did that. But the Bible tells us something more about God's promise of that seed. Go to Galatians chapter 3. After the Corinthians, Galatians chapter 3. And verse 16. And these verses are talking about that promise to Abraham. And it defines what God meant when he said, and to your seed. Look at verse 16. Now to Abraham and his seed to his children were the promises made. He saith not, and to seeds. You see, that word seed in the English language, it can mean both plural and singular. If I told you to bring me a five-gallon bucket full of seed out of the bin, there's a million seed, there's billions maybe in there. And a five-gallon bucket may have tens of thousands for all I know. But what if I told you to go get, there's one kernel of corn in that bin I want. Is that all? 
accurate. Seed, S-E-E-D, can mean the whole bin, and it can also mean one singular. This is what Paul is talking. Verse 16, To Abraham and his seed were the promises made. He saith not into seeds, as of many. He didn't mean plural. But as of one, and to thy seed, which is Christ. Now, it's true. There's different levels of meaning all the time throughout the Bible. When God made the promise to that land over there between the Mediterranean and the Jordan and Syria and the Red Sea, that was promised to Abraham's children, seed. But when God talked to Abraham about something's coming out of you that will bless the whole earth, this verse tells us he was talking about one kid. One seed, comma, which is Christ. Now think back to Mary and her song of praise. She now knows out of the billions who have come and gone on the earth, it's her. She is carrying that promise. Because it's that specific. Now, the reason this is important for us, you may think, well, this is neat, John. This is a nice history of Israel, but uh, my background is German. How does this help me? Go back up to verse 14. Galatians 3, verse 14. All of this stuff happened, just like he told Abraham. Who's going to get the blessing out of all this? Everybody. Verse 14. That the blessing of Abraham, see how it always goes back to that cat Abraham. He and God, they were close. And the promise that God made to him, Abraham's kids may have forgotten about it at times, but you know who never forgot about it? Never. God always had this on the front part of his brain, the promise that he made to Israel. That the blessing of Abraham might come on the Gentiles, now, I was maybe 20-some years old before I ever had that explained to me that Gentile is just everybody other than a Jew. I think most of us, we're Gentiles in here. And what this verse is saying is that because of what Jesus did on the cross gives us a chance to identify, to become incorporated into which promise? The promise to Abraham. And I'm telling you, that was fought over tooth and nail, flesh and blood throughout the whole Old Testament. In the Middle East, they're still fighting over that. Ishmael's kids versus Isaac's over there. They're still fighting over it to the death. It's that valuable. We have been grafted into that sucker. The blessing of Abraham. It might come on the Gentiles through Jesus Christ that we might receive the promise of the Spirit through faith. God made a promise with that guy, Abraham, and the rewards of it, the efficacy of it, the, the, the function of it, it still exists today. Just as every much as it did in Isaac's time or in Jacob's time. It still comes down to us. Let's go, let's go to Exodus chapter 6 and let's end there. We started off by talking about that Red Sea experience where God delivered them out of Egypt. And there's something, there's something the Lord told 
Moses as he was to go back to Pharaoh that we need to read Exodus chapter 6 and verse 6. God talking to Moses, telling him what he's about to do. Wherefore unto the children of Israel, I am the Lord. Say unto them, I am the Lord. And I will bring you out from under the burdens of the Egyptians. And I will rid you out of their bondage. I will redeem you with a stretched out arm and with great judgments. You see, even before he did it, God described that Red Sea experience, that Exodus experience out of the land of Egypt, how? With an outstretched arm. A lot of sculptors, painters, artists take credit maybe for picturing somebody who's flexing their muscle. That, that originated right here. God flexing his arm. As imagery to mankind, he was going to show people his power. And boy, did he ever. Next verse. And I will take you to me for a people, and will be to you a God, and you shall know that I am the Lord your God, which brought you out from under the burdens of Egypt. Notice what it says there. He's going to show them all these things so that those people would know who he is. After those ten plagues, even the Egyptians who didn't believe in him, even those people knew that there's something pretty powerful out there. Remember, after the firstborn died, they went to Pharaoh. The people did. And they told Pharaoh, you get those, Egypt, those Israelites out of here. If you don't, we're all dead. They had been watching their homes get destroyed, their livestock, their land. The water even turned to blood. There was nothing of value left. Now their firstborn was dead. And they went to Pharaoh and said, if they don't get them out here, we be all dead men. That's how bad it was getting. God performed in such a way he wanted the world to know something. He wanted the world to know he'd made a promise to Abraham and he's keeping it. Now get out of my way. You better let these people go. If you stand between me and them, you're dead. It is not a small thing that as we sit here tonight, the Jews are back in their land. God is not done with them yet. They are regathered over there so that when the Christian people, when God's church is removed out of the earth, you know how he's going to deal with the world? Through that nation of Israel again. And there's going to be signs and wonders just like he did with Moses, Abraham, or Elijah, or Elisha, Samuel. He's going to work through Israel again. Now, I lied to you. Go to 1 Samuel 17. We have to finish with one more thought. 1 Samuel chapter 17. We just read that God told Moses, I'm going to perform all my works on, is, uh, on Egypt so that everybody will know who I am. That always reminds me, 1 Samuel chapter 17, verse 46. This is David standing before Goliath. This is 20 seconds before David slings that rock and strikes Goliath right between the eyes. Verse 46, David says, This day will the Lord deliver thee into my hand, and I will smite thee and take thine head from thee, and I will give the carcasses of the host of the Philistines this day unto the fowls of the air. You ever talk that tough? 
we always think, well, God's people, they're, they're soft and they're quiet. And, and you know, they're meek. They, they don't pick fights. David is telling Goliath, I'm going to feed your flesh to the birds. And everybody behind you that takes your side, that wants to identify with you, I'm killing every single one of them. I'm not saying you have to do that to your neighbor. I am pointing out that is that God does deal with his people sometime this way. When he has to show something, when things go on in the world like maybe Russia and Ukraine, or when ISIS was beheading people on the beaches over there in Egypt and Libya, you know what one of my prayers is? God, show up like you did here and kill every one of them. Let the world know who you are. That has happened more times in the earth and recorded in the Bible than you can count. And David says here, every single one of you, and look at the end of verse 46, that all the earth may know that there is a God in Israel. Why did David want the audience? He, he didn't say, hey, hey, Goliath, let's go in the alley. Let, let's go where nobody can see us. No, no, they're out in the open. All the Philistines on that hill, all Israel on this side, and he said, we're doing it right here, right now. And he went after Goliath, and before he did, he let him know, I'm coming after you so that all these witnesses are going to know something. That there's a God in Israel. He's on my side. What do you think all those people, everybody that witnessed David and Goliath that day, thought as they laid their head on the pillow that night? I think everybody had a new image of God. How strong he was. How faithful he was. How he's not to be messed with. I tremble for my country when we poke our finger into his eye. He is all-powerful. I don't want to offend him like that. And as a church body, it bothers me when churches decide to vote on certain things that are recorded in the Bible that are sin that we should never do and say, well, I don't think God means that. We should, just, we should be modern. He doesn't change. And there's no reason to go against him. Just like he did with David and Goliath. David knew when we're done here, everybody around here is going to have less questions. They're all going to know what God can do, what it looks like when he jumps into the fight. Because after that rocket, Goliath, right between the eyes, David runs over there, pulls his Goliath's own sword out, and takes his head from him. He didn't do that by luck. He didn't do it just because through practice, God was on his side. We pray to that God. I don't know about you, I think we could use some help like that in a lot of areas, in our country and in our world. When you go to the Lord in prayer, you sometimes need to remember, what, what can he do? What has he done? What's he likely to do? That's usually my prayer. Lord, just get involved in these things. Get involved, and then maybe at the end of the day, all those witnesses that see it, they'll all know that there is a God in heaven. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we pray that as we leave this place, Lord, 
that you would be stronger in each and every one of us. Help us, Lord, to see this world as you see it, with the desires that you have for it. Father, help us as we pray for our world and our nation. Help us to see it in the light that you do, with the expectation that you do. Lord, I pray of every person here that you would raise their expectation of you in their life. That they would expect you, have faith in you, to do signs, wonders, and miracles in their lives. So that the people in their circle of influence would see, would witness, and know that there is a God in heaven. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.